Well, good morning of Christmas week, and uh, I trust that this is going to be a great week of celebration and adoring of Christ. And if you would grab your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 2. We're walking through the first couple chapters of the book of Luke and savoring in things around uh, the birth. As you're turning there, and being that Christmas is just such a delightful time uh, with little kids particularly, I mean, there's just the beauty in a little kid's eyes. I just want to make note of a thank you. Um, Last Sunday, my granddaughter, who is just under two years old, my favorite granddaughter, because she's my only granddaughter, um, Hazel brought this to me, and uh, I've had it in my office all week, and as I'm just sitting with it, I'm like, you know what, I just think uh, Sunday before Christmas is appropriate to say to all of those of you who serve in Radiant Children and Radiant Kids, Um, On behalf of parents, on behalf of grandparents and aunts and uncles, thank you. Um, This is my picture of my granddaughter. I would call it engaging with Jesus. Um, She's not in the lines, and that's okay. Uh, This is where she's at, and uh, coming to understand the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And I think just Christmas week, this is just a great time to say thank you to all of you who serve in that area. Okay, thank you. Amen. Um, We are in week three of walking through Luke 1 and 2. Week 1 was the announcement of Emmanuel. Week 2 was the uh, arrival of Emmanuel. And today it's the adoration of Emmanuel. Adoration. What does it mean? Um, It means to adore, it means to pay honor, it means to revere, to love deeply and devotedly. And as we just sang, it means to give our highest hallelujah to, our highest hallelujah. You know, we can get hyped up about a lot of things. Um, I mean, I just think of things like Christmas, uh, Christmas break, vacation, Uh uh-huh. I think of things like football. I can get cranked up about football. Uh, I think of people. You can get cranked up about people. You might get cranked up about your career or uh, your finances or Christmas sales. Um, uh, New Year's, uh, technology. I mean, I don't know what it is you can get fired up about, uh, but it causes me to ask this question. We're going to be seeing these events around the birth of Christ that are all adoration events. It causes me to ask the question of me and of you. What does your hyped-up meter adoration of Jesus look like? I mean, what what does the hyped-up about Jesus, what does the adoration meter of Jesus look like for you? This has been a tough year, and I just have a sense that people are kind of worn and tired and just kind of feet dragging, and um, Christmas is a time that, uh, hey, bring all of the reality of the year to this time of the year. And yet at the same time, man, if there's uh, a time to rejoice, it's like Christmas and Easter. And uh, a lot of adoration with that. In fact, uh, I had received uh, just a sweet email from someone uh, after last Sunday's service. And this person wrote in the subject line of their email. It was a a long subject line. It says this. A woo-hoo was so needed, not once, but so many times this morning. I mean, just how sweet is that? And then in that email associated with that, she included this article from Desiring God. Uh, It was called, the article called, Why Don't We Shout in Worship? Um, 
The opening line of that article said this, do you ever shout in church as an expression of exultant, exuberant worship? And then it kind of asks, why not? Uh, why, why don't uh, churches do that all the time? And then the closing line of the article was Psalm 89, 15. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, uh, who walk, O Lord, in the sight of your face, who exult in the, your name all day. And just to cause any fear, remove any fears if you're new or wondering, you know, today is not going to be an exercise on shouting together. All right, everybody just chill out on that. Uh, but it does cause the question of, seriously, so uh, adoration, um, to adore, to, to pay honor, to revere, to love deeply and devotedly, to give our highest hallelujahs, might I say, to give our woo-hoos for. Okay, we're, we're working on it. We're getting there. Start slow, pick the pace up. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through uh, 20, we're going to go there. And I think what we see here is four adoration events around the birth of Christ. Um, they do not all look the same, and I love that. I love that. Uh, but I am trusting that what we're going to do today is going to help you, encourage you, and even propel you into using this coming week of Christmas as a week of some real purposed adoration of our Lord. Okay? Now, we're going to spend a good 10, maybe even 15 minutes kind of setting some of the things here. And then we'll get to these four adoration events, which will happen quite quickly. Uh, but if you're a note taker, just so you know how to lay that out on your page. So let's kind of put some of this together. Let's actually pick up verse 1 of chapter 2 from last Sunday, the birth of Christ. Let's read that. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius, boom, was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was born in the line of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, his fiance, who was with child. And while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Let's pick up now verse 8 and 9. And in the same region there were shepherds. Shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now let's work out some of the text of 8 and 9 here. Uh, in the same region, uh, how far away were they? Was it a mile away? Was it five miles away? Uh, Ten miles away? Not, not sure, but it was in that region. So likely we're not talking they're 50 miles away or 100 miles. We're not talking that. These are the shepherds, uh, not the wise men. Okay? These are the shepherds. They're in the region uh, of what's going on. And they are shepherds. Uh, how many shepherds? Don't know. Well, there were three. No, no that's, that's, you're thinking of the pictures of the wise men. Um, no, here these are shepherds. How many? Uh, it could be three, it could be five, could be 10, could be a dozen, could be 24 uh, of them. We don't know, but there are multiples of that. And uh, actually is uh, valid information to know about the confirming reality of all this that took 
place in that. They're shepherds. Uh, Luke includes the account of the shepherds in his telling of the gospel and the birth of Christ. He does not include the telling of the wise men. Matthew does. Uh, the wise men really fit, in many ways, Matthew's audience. Uh, Luke uh, keys in on the shepherds here. I think likely the shepherds were actually showed up uh, before the wise men. It very well could be that the wise men didn't come for like a year, two years after the birth of Christ. Different, different views on that. Uh, but the shepherds are there. You know, the, the shepherds oftentimes uh, get in the gospels kind of this country bumpkin uh, type of a vibe to them. And, uh, you know, in certain ways, uh, they are. They're, they're regular people. They're shepherds. Uh, but at the same time, it's kind of like, well, why do the wise men get the high society vibe? Well, because they bring the big dollar uh, gifts to it. But shepherds are here. And I'm bringing this up because I am thrilled that it includes shepherds and not just the high society, high dollar value wise men. I mean, uh, really, friends, the shepherds in their day, in the economy structure of things, they would be lower in that totem pole, and yet if you were to do the percent of population of who comprises uh, what category, they would without question in that category be kind of the average Joe, average Jane, uh, comprising the population of the day. They're regular folk, and I love that. Because oftentimes, with things in our world, just A-listers to get to be part of it. Just the powerful, just the prestigious, just the known get to have the front seat. But here, the front seat is going to people, just the average Joe out on the street. I mean, really, in many ways, that was a case for Zachariah and Elizabeth. It was a case for Joseph and Mary. I mean, nothing high society about any of them. Just average people. And I love that the Lord not only includes average people, but I also love that the Lord includes the wise men in some high society. All people, <laughs> all people gathered around the birth of Christ. Verse nine, and an angel of the Lord appeared. Notice it's not just an angel of somewhere else. It's an angel of the Lord's. This is the Lord's angel appears. And we're told in Luke chapter 1 that Gabriel showed up with Zechariah as well as with Mary. Uh, here it's an angel of the Lord. We're told in Matthew 2 uh, that an angel of the Lord shows up with Matthew. Was this Gabriel in all four of these? Uh, I think probably so, very likely so, but that's not the important point. That's not what really matters. Uh, I think what is really marvelous about all of the events that are going on here is that the heavenly hosts are being involved. I mean, understand coming from the Old Testament, there's been essentially 400 years of silence from God, and now all of a sudden it's like, bam, coming on the table. And that includes the heavenly hosts are coming in and revealing and communicating some things that are taking place with it all. And I love that. If I could say it, the heavenly hosts are amped up. They're amped up about this, and we're going to see their adoration in just a moment. And then in the text, and the glory shone around them. It's interesting. It doesn't say the glory of the angels showed around them. It was the glory of the Lord shone around them. Hey, friends, know this. We do not worship angels. We do not worship angels. Because the angels are the Lord's angels, and the glory of angels is not their glory. It's the glory of the Lord that shines through them, that comes through them, uh, a radiant God through them. 
Um, and they were filled with fear. <laughs> uh, yeah, the shepherds. Like, can you imagine you're, you're out there just with your sheep, however far away on whatever hill uh, area where your sheep are grazing? You're just doing your gig, man. It's just another day. It's just things are moving along and all of a sudden, whammo, an angel shows up of the Lord and glory is shining all around. It's very likely this happened in the middle of the night possibility. And I don't think you're all sitting there like, yep, just another event. I think it could be like, hey, wait a second, we've been doing the shepherding thing a little too long here right now. Something's going on. But we have here the glory of the Lord through this angel shows up, and they are filled with fear. Uh, Zachariah was filled with fear when Gabriel showed up in chapter 1, verse 12. Mary was filled with fear in verse 29 of chapter one, I could also add in, I mean, we could just go a whole list of Job uh, when the Lord showed up and had a little conversation with him, chapter or 40 and 42, Job falls down in fear. We, we have Isaiah in Isaiah 6 where he sees uh, the heavenlies and falls down in fear. We, we have in John in Revelation chapter 1, one of the disciples that hung out with Jesus for three years and then after the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ reveals himself, John says he was going to fall down as though he's going to die. Causes me to kind of ask the question of me and ask the question of you is this. Um, the idea of the presence of the Lord, does it put a face down fear in you? I mean, really. We can get so comfortable with things. And actually, Christmas is one of those times. Cute little baby little baby in the manger and all those animals and the drummer boy and and we can get comfortable actually god becomes underwhelming in that um i could even say this god starts becoming typical and manageable. You see, the idea of the fear here is like, whoa, like, where'd that come from? Like, what's up? And it's like, I am blown away. Like, oh my, I am small. And, and this whole thing that's happening here, even with the angel, and whoa, this is not normal. This is outside of normal physics. It's like, blow me away. I, can I say, some of that should be a Christmas, friends. Maybe like a lot of that should be in Christmas. And this is a blow our minds away. Emmanuel, God with us, has come. There's too much comfortable going on. There's too much just even kind of like we think we get to define who God is and what God would say and how God would operate. In our culture, it's, you put three people up and it's like, well, this is what I believe God is, this is what I believe God is, and this is what I believe God is. And our culture would go, oh, great for all three of you. And God's like, what? No, you don't have that authority. You don't. 
I am telling you who I am. And I, am I about that? Or am I about creating my own idol God? Great fear is something that should be shown and in us. Verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not. Well, Doug, that just blew what you just said. Hang on. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. A few things here about verse 10. Fear not. What a grace statement. A grace statement by this angel. The fear not, he's saying, no, he's not saying this is inappropriate. He's not saying that. He's saying, listen, uh, just, just so you know, uh, I, it's just a sweet moment. It's like Revelation 1 again with John, the apostle who was with Jesus for three years, sees him again. John isn't running up, giving him a high five and going, oh, chest butt and that kind of stuff with the Lord. Oh, missed you, bro. Not doing that. Uh, he falls down, thinks he's going to die. And Jesus takes his right hand and puts it on his shoulder and says, John, fear not. Why? Because there's something going on here. Because the one of authority knows what's taking place. And here the angels say, listen, fear not. I, and I, know, I know I just scared the living bejeevers out of you. But hang on here because I have some good news for you. Some good news. So kind of pull yourself together. <laughs> and, and, and hear what this good news is. And he says, I have good news. By the way, that means it's not average news. It's not fake news. It's what kind of news? It's good news. I, dude, I got some good, good, good news for you. And uh, by the way, notice it's news for all people. There's a lot of theology in these statements here. It's, it's news not just for you, but it, actually this is news that impacts all people. And if I have the understanding of, of grammar correctly, all means like all? Me, you, them, All? It's good news for all people, not just powerful, not just the privileged, not just the A-listers, not even just those who are like the Pharisees who thought they were religious. It's for all, including regular shepherds. And I would say this, it's news that if you're to understand it, there is an aspect, there needs to be a place of fear that starts with it. This news blows your mind. But then after that, uh, do not fear because this is good news for all people. I'm just kind of getting this point across. Friends, there should be a, a healthy tension of biblical, rightful fear and awe before the Lord. And yet also, particularly if you know Christ as your Savior, if you receive the good news of Jesus Christ, listen, those two, one does not drop away. They both work together, always in awe of the good news. In fact, we're going to dig into the good news here in two Sundays on the gospel, what that is, and refresh ourselves in it. It's good news for all. Good news for all people. Hmm. Verse 11 and 12. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. <laughs> I love this. You have verse 10 in all people. And then you have verse 11. I have, it's for you. It's both. It, it, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is for all and you. And you and me and all. 
It is information that is available and important to all. And I say it's important to all because notice in the text there, it says a savior, uh, not a prophet, not a moral example, not, not someone on religious steroids. It says a savior. By the way, a savior means that all people and each people need saving. If he is not a being born a savior means that there are unsaved means there are people who need saving. And by the way, the people that need saving are all people and you. That's the good news covers the whole gamut. It's not instantly applied to, it's going to be made available to all and each. And notice a, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Man, we just passed right by that. that. That is a crazy theological statement in those three words, Christ the Lord, Christ. It means he's, uh, seriously, uh, Christ was not Jesus' last name. Christ is a title. It's the equivalent of saying Jesus the Christ. Christ is a, is a messianic term. It's out of the Old Testament. Who is going to be the Christ one? Oh, Jesus is the Christ one. He is the Christ. And by the way, it's already implied within that, but just to make sure in it, the Lord is, is, is saying not a Lord, not like a Lord, but definite article, the Lord. He is the, it's a messianic divinity term. He is the Messiah deity, oh yeah, that's why we say Emmanuel, God with us. And we're not talking about God with us like God is out there and he's shooting some love vibes. We're not talking that. Like God is out wherever God is and God is doing some divine wiffle dust out onto. No, no, this is God, second person of the Trinity, boots on the ground with. Christ the Lord, God with, and you will find him lying in a manger. Now there, I'm telling you, there is not a place I would expect uh, the divine Messiah to be having as his crib. We're not told how the shepherds responded, but I think they're probably recovering from their great fear moment. And so let's come into these four events and we start with the heavenly hosts are gonna help him. The heavenly hosts break in with praise. The heavenly hosts break out in praise. Verse 13 and 14. And suddenly, like bam, after this news is told, there was an angel, there with the angel was a multitude of the heavenly host. By the way, a multitude. Like, that's gotta be more than 10, right? I mean, otherwise you go, you know, some. But a multitude is like lots, like a multitude, like a pile of, like a vast expanse of heavenly hosts. Can you imagine these just normal people? Like, hey, no one sent me a letter planning this time. It's not on my iPhone. I mean, not scheduled in. And it's like, boom, this angel shows up. Got news for you. And they're like, what? And there's like, hang on, I got good news. And then it's like, so you got to have all the sound effects in the whole thing. 
And in this, these heavenly hosts, it's like the heavens, I don't know, picture up at the heavens and they're like, I can't stay here, I can't stay here. This is too awesome, I gotta jump in, let's go. Thank you. Woo-hoo. How would that help the shepherds understand this is like a big moment, right? Heavenly hosts break in with praise. Just on that, uh, I think of a movie. It's not the one you think I'm going to say. Amadeus, not the greatest movie. In some ways, it's just kind of weird. But it's about Mozart. And... uh, um, there's a character in it, and his name is Andreas uh, Soleri. And uh, uh, Soleri is a music composer as well. And, and he's kind of a, 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 a composer that has grand admiration for Mozart, but in the same way, there's kind of a competition between them, a bit of competitive from Soleri's viewpoint. And in the movie, there's this one scene, I'm not gonna play for, for it to you, but in this scene, it's Soleri uh, from Mozart's wife, he, he gets this music sheets of Mozart's and, and she tells him that the, these are fresh copies that, that no one has ever seen. And Soleri is just like, I gotta see these and he picks up some of the pages and he looks at the pages and to me they're just scribbles and notes, I can't put it beyond that. But, but he's taking this and he's hearing this and I just love in the clip, he's just like, it's like coming off the page. And he's like, oh my. And he's looking at it, it's like, and there's no changes, there's no erase marks. I don't know if they had erasers back then, how they did it, but, and it's just like, whoa. Hey friends, that in us right now in this text. Looking at the page, and it's just like, This is far more than a cute image of a baby in a manger and a young sweet couple with a star over their heads and some animals. This is epic. Heavenly hosts break out in praise and then the shepherds, I'm terming it, they break out into action. Verse 15 and 17. When the angels went away from them into heaven... I wonder what that was like. Did they just go, or did they? The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told of them concerning this child. I'm terming this the shepherds break out in action. It's kind of like they're awed by this event. They hear this news. Then they have the heavenly host declaring and praising God, whatever all was involved with that. And then they're like, they had a choice. Really, they had a choice. They just could have said, whoa, that, that, that was cool. Back to bed. They could have. Or it's like, we can't leave the sheep. No, you you see, this was news that was so compelling and and so mind-blowing that to sit stuck and not do anything was, was just, it's lame. That would just be lame. Like, lame. 
Friends, there's a difference between observation and adoration. Observation is at that point where you just see something and it's kind of like cool. Adoration is when you do something, when you move into another place. And for the, uh, as the angels break out in praise, it's like, can't, can't just sit here, gotta, oh, and so they do. And then the shepherds here, like, can't sit here, let's go find this out. Are you kidding me? And so, that they, and so they do. And they go, they went with haste, not like on a stroll, like, go. And they saw, and by the way, when they were there, they made known. And you sure don't get this idea that they're like, hey, props to you, angel. High five, big yawn. I mean, it is adoration that has action to it. Third, the heavenly host break into praise, the shepherds break out in action, and then the all who heard break out in wonderment. Who am I talking about? Verse 18, and all who heard it, uh, which is referring to what the shepherds were saying, which is an intriguing, intriguing thing. I don't know who they are. I don't know whether that was around the, the scene in the manger, whether it was at the engagement. I, I don't know. But all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They heard and they wondered. It, it means they marveled at, they were amazed at, they were astonished at. The word that's used here for marveled is the same word that's used with Joseph and Mary later in verse 33, actually this coming Sunday, uh, where Simeon uh, says some things and, and they're like, mind blow, mind blow. That's kind of the idea of it. And they sit in there, they're like marveled at it. It's also used, I think this is really helpful, of Peter in Luke 24. Uh, Peter goes to see the empty tomb and this word is used. And Peter sees the empty tomb and he marvels because, what is it, three days ago, he saw Jesus crucified. He saw him hanging on a cross. He saw him dead. He knew that he was buried in a tomb. And friends, normal physics leaves it there. But then he's going actually to see what's up and what's up is the tomb is empty and he's like, what? Like, what? In the Greek it would be, what <laughs> And that's what's happening here. All who heard this are like, whoa. Like, whoa. It's interesting, we're not told what they do with it. They, you can marvel at something and not have it change you. There's a lot of things that you can marvel at. I sit in my office, I'm over here in the corner and so looking uh, out the window that way and depending on the winds uh, with Indianapolis Airport, the uh, final will be coming in for some of the planes uh, right out there. And, and for me personally, that's just kind of a thing of mine. I, I just sit there in my office sometimes looking out the window and I just go, I, I understand Bernoulli's principle, but I still do not understand how that thing hangs up in the air. I mean, that is massive and filled with weight. That should not happen. But I'll tell you, it hasn't changed my life. You can marvel at something you can even at Christmas time give it props. But it wasn't meant just to be given props. You see, a Savior was born. 
It was meant to save, not just to awe us for a few. It was meant to change. I don't know if it did with them, but they heard. And the fact is, is that wonderment is the beginning of adoration. Wonderment just left unto itself becomes observation. But wonderment that's taken to the next level begins to be adoration. Where it's like, oh my, a savior has been born. Christ, the, mess, the Messiah, deity in the flesh. Adore. Adore. Verse 19. But Mary. I really, in the translation of the word is day in the Greek, it can mean and, it can mean but, it can mean moreover. If, if I had the word here, I would be moreover. Because but or and kind of makes a, if you look at the, read the text sometime, it kind of gives an influence on what just happened in the verse before with the all who were. I'm not sure that's what Luke is going here. But I'll say this. Uh, so they're wondering at, but moreover, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. This dear girl. I mean, think of all that she's been through. I've got nine things here. She was engaged and looking forward to life with her honey. I mean, that, that, that's what was going on. And no plans for any of this. She's engaged, look forward to life with her honey, Joseph. And then all of a sudden, God shows up. And she's informed, secondly, by an angel that she's going to be uniquely pregnant. <laughs> and then third, as a result of knowing that she's going to be uniquely pregnant, she knows that she's going to get all kinds of junk from likely her family, her community, and even what's her honey going to do with this? I mean, she wasn't asking for it. It wasn't on her day timer. That was back in the day. It wasn't on her iPhone calendar. And all of a sudden, God shows up and says, I got something for you. And it totally alters the course of her life. Bless her heart. Joseph then comes on board with God's program. We, we learn in Matthew. And can I say, what a sweet moment that must have been for Mary. Phew. <laughs> He's on board. And we get to do this together. And the whole honey thing together and life together, it's even already gone to a whole nother level now. And then over the coming months, she begins to show. I can't imagine that. I've personally never been pregnant. I just remember my wife laying in bed at times and seeing our son and our daughter, uh, not at the same time, but uh, moving in that whole alien moment across her belly. But think about it. it, it here's Mary. She's told she's going to be uniquely pregnant. And then all of a sudden, that's one thing in the head. But then all of a sudden, her belly begins to grow. Friends, you cannot tell me there weren't days in there where she's like, this is mind-blowing, and I'm still trying to figure out how to handle all this. And then her fiancé says, let's travel 80 miles to Bethlehem. And they get there, and they check on hotels.com and nothing's available. Then Mary gives birth to her baby boy, not in a hospital. 
And then these shepherds show up uninvited (laughs) by them. And then the shepherds tell their story. And what do we learn about Mary? Mary breaks out in treasuring. That's the idea of the text. But Mary, or moreover Mary, treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Treasured up. It it means like treasure boxed. I'm going to take that and put it in my treasure. Did you ever have one of those as a kid? I remember in high school, literally my freshman year of high school, I had socks from, (laughs) put in a little keepsake thing I had, socks from football season that year. And I don't know where they're at. They got lost somewhere in all the moves. But you just treasure box it. And you put that, and it's like, I don't want to forget that. And that's what Mary's doing here, like that. I'm just boxing that one up. And she's treasuring it. And then she's pondering it. The idea carries this word of an action of pondering. It's thinking over. It's weighing in the mind. It's considering with thoroughness and care. It's meditating on. I'm taking that, and I'm taking that, and I'm taking that, I'm taking that, and I'm just putting them in a box, and I'm adoring God for what he has done. Recently finished a book by Rod Dreher. He says that in our technology digital laden world, he says this, the result is that there is a gradual inability for us to pay attention, to focus, and to think deeply. He says, contemplation is becoming alien to the modern mode of life. We are terrified of quiet, of stillness. We are even terrified of our own thought. And I come to a text where something like Mary is treasuring up and pondering them in her heart. And this Christmas week, after a bizarre year, man, this would be a great time to treasure box some stuff. Ponder them. And adore God even for the hurts and the hearts. Heavenly hosts break out in praise. The shepherds break out in action. All who heard break out in wonderment. Mary breaks out in treasuring. And we finish with verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. I'll just say it this way. They went home different. They didn't just go home, I think the idea from the, the, the statement here that Luke is getting, it's not like they just went home and said, man, do I have an interesting story to tell you? This is deeper than that. Two closing thoughts. Do, do you have a story like that, like the, with the shepherds? I mean, a story to where you came to hear of what the Lord has done and what has made available as Christ the Lord, the Savior for people who are broken in sin. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
where, where we come to understand this isn't just something to observe and to go, ah, props. But this is actually something to look at and it's like, oh my, apparently I need a savior. And Jesus Christ says that he is the savior of that. And by receiving Christ as my savior, uh, not only do I just uh, do that, but my life is to be altered. It is to be changed. It is to become something different because of that saving news. You see, I went from unsaved to saved and someone who has been saved from something but lives like they've been unsaved. What's with that? At some point you have to ask the question, is there really saving? because everything around it looks like unsaved. And the birth is no sweet event just to observe. It is to be adored and change our lives. And if there has never been that moment where you've driven the stake in the ground, you need to talk with someone, get with someone, come before the Lord, and let's get saved. And then lastly, I'll just say this, this week, for your Christmas week, I want to encourage you to consider having these four items planned in your week somehow. Praise, action, wonderment, treasuring. How might you do that this week? Don't wait for someone else to do it. How might you? How this week, in fact, we're gonna conclude here now. In fact, the worship team, you can go ahead and come on and and get ready to close us in in a moment of praise here. We're gonna kind of get that one started. Okay? So we're going to have some praise. And then there's going to be, uh, how can that be acted? By the way, the action with the shepherds has most to do not just with like delivering cookies to someone, which is fantastic, but it has more to do with the speaking, saying, hey, how about this Christmas? More speaking about the adoration of Jesus and what he has done. More talk of that. More speaking of that. More declaration of that. More awe together in the hearing of that, in wonderment, in just this idea of like, okay, let's just stop and pause and consider the grandness of this, and then let's treasure it up. Let's just treasure it up. Some moments of sit down, get away, get quiet, shut everything down, phone away, things away, and wonder, and adore, and treasure. Merry Christmas. And Lord, we give you the praise for it because it's all about you and it's all for you and it's all because of you. And so we lift your name high and we hold your name out and uh, we just adore you. God, uh, we uh, oftentimes lack in being woohoo people. More woohoo in us. Yeah. More woohooing in us, Lord, I pray. In Christ's name. Amen.